I want to start with a question this evening. For those of you watching online, for those of you here at our wonderful Thursday night service, how many of you all like to run? Let me see your hands. You like to run. How many of you hate to run? Yeah, that's what I thought. I rarely run unless somebody's chasing me. Maybe a dog, perhaps. That's a whole other story. But I remember several years ago, my teenage son and Tyler and I were walking back to my car after a Monday night golf league over at the Newman Golf Course where our golf league play, played. And Tyler, like he often did in his teenage years, challenged me to a race when we dropped the golf cart off back to the car. Now, we just dropped off the cart. Tyler was a lot faster than me. Don't know why I was going to take that challenge. But as we were walking past the tee at Newman, there was a grove of trees about 25 yards to the right. Tyler went on this side of the grove. I went on this side. And he asked me one more time before he went on the side of the trees, hey, Dad, do you want to race, Pop? I said, I didn't answer. I didn't say a word. But when he got behind those trees, I took off running because it was a blind. And I was full on, full out through that grove of trees. By the time he saw me come out where he could catch up, I was long gone. Man, I came busting out of there. No way he was going to catch me. In fact, as I went by one of the cars, I thought I heard somebody say, run, Forrest, run. I, I think they might have. To this day, we remember, and I said, I beat you in that race. I so beat you, and we never raced again because I'm the champion. Now, running can be a lot of fun most of the time unless you're running from God. Then I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm here to tell you online, that's not so much fun. If you've ever been chased by God, I want to talk about that. Uh, I think I want to share a message tonight that is indicative of our culture because we're all running to or from something. And the story of the guy that we are unpacking right now in our church, the story of Jonah is about running. And Jonah ran away from God faster than like Antonio Brown ran, ran away from the Oakland Raiders. I'm just saying. He's running away from God. Tyler talked about that last week. He's running to God in a season of his life. That's what we want to cover tonight. He's running with God. That's next week. And then by the end of his story, believe it or not, he's running ahead of God. Tyler McKenzie was stellar in introducing Jonah running away from God, talking about purpose from chapter 1. Uh, some of you didn't hear Tyler's message, get online, check that out. It's outstanding. Even though some of you heard that message, there are still some of us in this room running away from God. And the worst thing that could happen, listen to me now, the worst thing that could happen in your life is that you spend your life trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to collect this debt you owe. What he's, when he's really chasing you to give you what you can never afford to buy on your own. I call it the holy hound of heaven. Some of y'all in this room know what I'm talking about. The holy hound of heaven will track you down, and it's not because he wants something from you, it's because he wants something for you. Quit running from God. Now, when we last left Jonah in chapter one, and some of y'all reading the book of Jonah, it's four chapters, you could read in one setting. I'm so glad that you're letting the Bible get in your mind, you're meditating on, man, that's such a cool thing. And if you never read the Bible, get a Bible, man. We'll get one for you. When we last left Jonah, he's in a bit of trouble to say the least. I'm just telling you, big trouble. God told him to preach to this great city of Nineveh, which as Tyler unpacked it, you can see was a great city. It was a godless country, a godless culture. They were the original terror.
terrorists of their day, and they killed fellow Israelites. The last thing he wanted to do was to go over to Nineveh and preach repentance and give mercy and love to them. But Jonah got on a ship. He went the exact opposite way. And when he went this way, God sent a storm his way. I want to talk about the storm tonight as well. You see, if Jonah will not go into a great city, here's what's going to happen. He's going to go into a great storm. And then he's going to go into a great fish that we're going to meet tonight. He's going to have it his way, but God ultimately is going to have it his way. And I don't know if you've noticed in your life, some of you brand new tonight here or brand new watching online, I don't know if you noticed this factor, this dynamic in your life, but here it is, all sin all rebelliousness, all running away has a mighty storm attached to it. All sin has a mighty storm attached to it. The sooner you learn that in life, the better it is. I have learned that the hard way over my life. I learned it early in my life when I was about 12 years old. Uh, my dad was a preacher at a little Church of Christ, Erlanger Church of Christ over in Erlanger, Kentucky, and the police station was right across the street from the church. And before Sunday night church, I would go over to the police station because they had a vending machine in the police station lobby, and I would get some gum or some mints to keep me awake during my dad's sermon. That was really what I, my goal was. Back then, it was like five cents, I think. And it was one of those old school vending machines that had a handle. You put the money in, you pulled the handle and pushed it back in, and the stuff dropped out. I went over there with my nickel and I got my mints, but I noticed that handle stuck when I pulled it out. So I pushed it back in, another roll of lifesavers came out. I did it again without putting money in, another one came out. I kept pulling it, things kept coming out. I said, let me try the next one. I pulled the next one, gum, ju ju juicy fruit comes out, then big red, and then all kinds of stuff. Then I went, moved to mounds and I moved to Snickers. I had so much candy coming out, I went, I, I got all I could, I went back to the parsonage next door to the church right across from the police station, got a grocery bag, Kroger bag, came back, and I emptied out that whole vending machine right in the middle of the police lobby, and I had candy in sacks. I went to church, I was the man. I was handing out candy to the youth group, didn't think that maybe my dad might notice, I'm like 50 cents a week allowance. Son, what are you doing with all that candy? Well. I found it. Yeah, I'm telling you, when you go uh, start running away from God, all sin leads to a serious storm in your life. The greatest sin leads to the greatest storm. What do you mean you found it? Where'd you find it? Well, I found it over the police station lobby. Well, <laughs> how's that? Finally, I confess, I got all that candy. I paid a nickel for it. He said, you know what? We're going back over there first thing in the morning, and you're going to tell them what you did. You robbed from the police. He said, they may throw you in jail over there. I mean, it scared me to death. So I went over, dad tried to figure out, calculate. He never could have calculated how much candy we actually ate. He said, you're going to, I'm gonna pay that and you're gonna pay me back through your allowance. You don't get allowance for like three years. In fact, I think I'm just now getting allowance. And I found out very quickly that all sin has a mighty storm attached to it. And the longer you put it off, and the longer you resist God, the harder it's gonna be. Some of you are in a storm right now in your life, and I'm not just talking about the kind that handles on vending machines and candy mix. Some of y'all have created a storm. Uh, in fact, someone said that you're either in a storm now, you just came out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. Some of y'all think, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm in no storm. Oh, you just wait, the storm's coming your way. You may not realize it yet. 
And what is true for some of us is some of us are not only in a storm, some of us have taken our lives to a whole nother level, and we're not just in a storm, I'll tell you what we're in now, a fish, a beast, a monster. And that's where Jonah finds himself. The sailors of this ship Jonah was in, seeing the storm threw Jonah overboard and the seas suddenly calm. And then we come to Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. And I just want to walk through the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Jonah. It's just 10, 11 short verses and talk about the storm, and talk about the fish, and talk about running from God. And boy, this verse right here, Jonah 1.17, is awesome. I'm I'm just going to leave it up here for a little bit because there's so much truth in here. Now the Lord provided, after he got thrown off the ship, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Notice God sent a fish. In fact, the book of Jonah is about God providing. If you've read this book, you find that word mentioned several times. The Lord provides a storm. The the Lord provided a worm. The Lord provided a vine later on. The Lord provided a wind. The Lord now provides a fish because he's trying to provide a prophet to do what he's supposed to do. The Lord provided a huge fish. So Jonah was on the ship, now he's on the fish. His mode of transportation has changed. He's traveling above the water, now he's traveling under the water. Not so much fun. And he provided to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, why is that significant? Oh, whenever you read three days, three nights in the Bible, take note. There's something significant. It's more than just physical. Now, some scholars think it's three days and three nights because that's how how long it was to get to, to Nineveh. And so they took the whale three, the fish, three days and three nights to get there. That's why. Mm. You remember Jesus Christ predicted his own death and resurrection. He says, all I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. That's what Jesus said later in the New Testament. And I'll be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, and then I'll resurrect, I'll rise again. I know that a lot of skeptics and a lot of so-called scholars scoff at this message of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish. And you may not believe it, but here's why I believe it, because Jesus believed it. And I'm with him. When you come back from the dead, you know, I'll start believing you. But I'm pretty sure Jesus said three days, three nights. He quoted Jonah. He believed in Jonah. So you may not buy this hook, line, and sinker, you know, but Jesus did. And it's okay to have faith. I don't know how he stayed alive in there. I don't know how he went down the whale or the great fish's mouth. But I'm claiming it in faith that God provided the fish, and that's why. I love that story about that Christian college girl who was talking to a very skeptical college science professor about faith and whales and how she believed that the whale really did swallow Jonah, as the Bible said. And the educated, erudite teacher said, you know what? There's no way. I don't believe that. That that is physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because though it's a very large mammal, the teacher said, its throat is very small. But the student remained steadfast in her faith. She said, "I, I think the whale swallowed Jonah and he lived. Irritated, the teacher again stated that a whale could not swallow a human. It's physically impossible, the professor said. How did that happen? And the little girl said, I'm not sure how it happened. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. To which the teacher smugly replied, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? (laughs) To which the student said, well, then you can ask him. Okay, so I'm, I'm claiming Jonah. 
I'm claiming this is true. In the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. And finally, after he gets through the storm and he gets in the fish, notice we read this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He's no longer in the storm. He's in the fish now. And notice his prayer. I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to come back and unpack a few salient, powerful phrases and words that Jonah used. Here's the prayer of Jonah inside the fish. I don't, you can pray in lots of different places. Some of you probably never prayed in the, the belly of a whale or a fish. Your prayers take on a whole new meaning when you're praying in that place. In my distress, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, the word for that in the Hebrew is Sheol, the resting place of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry, Jonah says. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The, I love this next verse. The, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Check this out. Seaweed, seaweed was wrapped around my head. I, I love that. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, that's very literal, very literal phrase that he uses here. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, boy, this is a powerful phrase he uses now. He says, those who cling to worthless idols. In other words, it, there was a season of his life where his idol was his himself. Tyler talked about the obvious idols, the subtle idols of comfort that it, some of you may not be bowing down to a physical idol. Oh, but you've got an idol in your life. It's anything that takes your time, your talent, your treasure that's beyond and ahead of God. Jonah had some idols. He, he said, I'm, I'm going to turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Jonah says, and let me repeat this phrase, say it with me, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Say it again. Salvation comes from the Lord. I'm going to come back to that. And the last verse of his prayer and his narrative, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah, it wouldn't that be a pleasant experience? It hurled Jonah onto dry land. I love this. The Lord commanded the fish. I've been thinking about this. You know what? The fish obeyed better than Jonah did. God said to this whale, this fish, go over and scoop up that man. Go eat up that man. Don't, don't chomp on him. Just swallow him. And the fish obeyed. Even though it gave the fish indigestion, I'm sure, he obeyed. And it vomited Jonah on the dry line. Now, Jess is going to be here next week to talk about chapter 3, what happens after he gets hurled up onto that land. But he would have been kind of smelly. In fact, a fascinating scholar said he thinks that one of the powerful things that made Jonah so powerful when he preached to the Ninevites and they repented was that when he came up out of that whale, he was bleached white because of the stomach acid in the whale's tummy, the sea salt that invaded that area, his skin, his hair, his, his clothes, pure white coming up on the shore. Wouldn't that have been something to see? But he is done running from God at that point. Do you blame him? 
See, the story of Jonah is so powerful and familiar to a lot of us because here's why. For some of you in this room, for some of you watching online, Jonah's story is your story. Jonah's story is a microcosm of the human narrative, the human predicament. My story, your story, is Jonah's story. The story of Jonah is really not about a fish or a whale. That's who he's associated with. But about the wonder of God for this wandering prophet that somehow wouldn't, final, wouldn't relent, wouldn't submit, but finally got to the place where he was tired of running from God, and he allowed God into his heart, into his life, and now he's going to be radically redirected. And that same God, listen to me tonight, that same God who relentlessly pursued Jonah, who relentlessly is pursuing the Ninevites to get close to him, is also pursuing you. That whale, that fish, is not a beast or a monster. It's actually a fish of mercy. That fish saved Jonah's life by swallowing him and delivering back to God and God's purpose and God's mission. Uh, God used the whale to transport Jonah back to God. Let me just pause and ask a question. Some of you are here tonight because somebody invited you. Some of you will be here this Sunday because somebody invited you. They're the wonderful, sanctified whale of God. Who's the person that brought you back to God? They're not as big as a whale, but man, the truth that they carry is strong. Several commentators, as I read it, have correctly pointed out the scriptures in Jonah that the main dominant theme of his life, besides running away from God, is this descending, constantly going down into something. For those of you who are in a small group, which we highly advocate, man, you got to get in a group to discuss these things, do life together. Micah mentioned this in the small group curriculum about this concept of Jonah going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into a ship. He went down into a fish. He, it, he goes further down into the very depths of the ocean. But that's what it took for Jonah to be stripped of his buoyant self-sufficiency. I saw some wonderful pictures. I saw some stupid pictures of Jonah and the whale and the fish. I saw some good ones. This is an artist rendition. Here he comes down from the boat, and there's our friend <laughs> just waiting. His Savior was above, but his Savior was below. See, I have discovered this wonderful fact uh, watching people and watching church people and those outside the church, and countless Christians here can attest to this same experience. It's only when you reach the bottom of your life, when everything falls apart, that you finally begin to ascend when you descend, that's when you start to ascend. When all your schemes, when all your resources, when all your tricks, when all your deals, when all your time and talent and treasure is exhausted trying to help yourself, you finally learn to depend on God. It's so funny because you realize that Jesus is all you need, and you don't realize that until Jesus is all you have left. Jesus said it best. You must lose your life to find your life. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's why the gospel, which is the good news, before it's good news, it's disguised as bad news. The truth tonight will set you free, but first it makes you miserable. <laughs> and some of us can attest to that. And here are the words. Listen to the words from the text that Jonah uses when he's in this belly of the fish to describe his low-down, rock-bottom experience. 
I was in distress. I was in the realm of the dead. The currents and the waves swept over me. I was banished. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I was in the pit. My life was ebbing away. These are not fun times for Jonah. It's not fun to be down and out like that. Jonah is not using this moment to update his Instagram. I saw one picture on this. Check this out. I don't think Jonah is actually doing this. Where's my picture? This will be an awesome profile pic. No. If you are in the depths or the pits tonight, if you are in the depths of the pits and you're watching online, you may be asking a question which I often ask when I kind of get swallowed in the storm or the fish. Why is God doing this to me? Have you ever asked that question? God, I thought we were like on the same team. Why are you, do, why are you allowing this to happen to me? It's not always true, but let me tell you why sometimes it's, God allows this. It's the only thing at his disposal to get your attention. Some of us are so recalcitrant, so hard-hearted, so obstinate and rebellious, the only way that God can get our attention is the hard way. He tries the easy way. Any of y'all here like that? I know some of y'all got kids like that. You can punish them and you can spank them, you do whatever, they're just still defiant. Other people are very flexible and willing. So God says, okay, you know what? I tried the easy way, so now I'm going to get the hard way. And it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. Love promotes and provokes God to act in your rebellious, prodigal, running away period. And he will do whatever it takes to get you back home, to get you back on purpose. It's because he loves you. I stumbled across an old fairy tale this week about a wicked witch who lived in a remote village in the deep forest. When travelers came through looking for lodging, she offered them a meal and a bed. It was the most comfortable bed any of them had ever felt, but it was a bed full of dark magic. And if you were asleep in it, when the sun came up, you would turn to stone. Then that person would become a figure in the witch's statuary, trapped until the end of time. This witch eventually forced a young maiden to serve her, and though this young girl had no power to resist the witch, the girl had become filled with more and more pity for the witch's victims. One day it happened that a young man about the same age as the young maiden came looking for a bed and a warm meal and was taken in. The servant girl fell in love with him and could not bear to see him turn to stone. So she packed the bed with sticks and stones and thistles, and it made the bed horribly uncomfortable, but every time he turned in the night, he felt a new painful object. Though he kept casting the stuff out of the bed so he could sleep, there was always a new one to dig into his body, and the young man didn't sleep at all. And finally, he rose, feeling weary and worn long before dawn, And as he walked out the front door, the servant girl met him, and he berated her cruelly. How could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? How could you treat somebody that way? And she said to him, the misery you had last night is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. Friend, God puts sticks and stones in our everyday lives to provoke us, to prompt us, to pinch us, to wake us, lest the end of life overtake us and our hearts be turned to stone. 
This is the verse that the Bible is speaking about, the kind of love and salvation God has. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you, your heart of stone, which a lot of us have, that was Jonah, and give you a heart of flesh. If you wonder why God is doing what he's doing or allowing what he's allowing in your life, deep inside the storm and the waves that lashed at Jonah's body, deep inside the storm and the waves that lash at your body, God is saving you because there's love at the heart of your storm. And if you can't trace his hand, you've got to trust his heart. He's doing it all for your good. See, some things have probably happened to you in your life. Some things in your past, a storm that you have not probably fully processed through the lens I'm giving you tonight. See, some of you endured a storm, but you didn't learn a thing from the storm. You just bucked up and made it through till another storm came. Time has erased the main lesson God was trying to teach you. And that's why processing your story, your stories with a Christian friend or a Christian counselor is so powerful because the stories you tell yourself matter. You, you, he, God does not waste a hurt. He's trying to provoke you to teach you something. And what Jonah really teaches us is something really that all of us have to decide for our life and here's the question, does God know what's best for me or not? Does he know better than me what's right and good for me? And for some of us, it takes an eternity to figure that out. For some of us, it takes a storm and a fish and a ship and all kinds of things that God throws at us to get our attention. And for Jonah, it wasn't simply being at the bottom that began to change him. It was contrition contrition, repentance at the bottom. And Jonah begins to pray, and at the climax of the prayer, Jonah speaks of this concept. I'm going to teach you some theology tonight. He speaks of this concept called hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's a Hebrew word, and it means salvation. It's found from the verse I had you repeat, Jonah 2, 9. Salvation, remember us repeating that? Salvation comes from the Lord. That word salvation is the concept of hesed. It's the, the, what it means is there is a steadfast love, a grace, that is the deep devotion of God that enables someone to go from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Hesed love is the kind of love that just won't quit on a person. You understand, right? God is never going to quit on you. You may quit on God, but he'll never quit on you. Jonah 9, salvation belongs to the Lord, is kind of in the middle of your Bible, and it's right in the middle of the entire gospel, spiritually speaking. So if any of you tonight, here in this room, or any of you watching online or running away from God, could I encourage you like Jonah tonight to run to God? Because salvation comes from the Lord. Some scholars, and this was a brand new concept for me, I, I never thought of it before. Some scholars have dug into the language here in chapter 2, and because of that language of being in the realm of the dead, the waves swept over me, my life was ebbing away, I was in the pit, they believe that Jonah actually drowned in the whale. 
and that God resurrected Jonah three days later and spit him up on the land. That he didn't really live the whole time in that dark. I mean, there's no electric lights. You don't pull the light. There's no cell phone light when you're in the belly of the beast of the whale. That when he, he was actually dead, darkness, Sheol. But when God spit him out, he spit him out of the grave and he was resurrected after three days, which would closely more align, truthfully, to the sign of Jonah that Jesus mentioned after three days. Fascinating to consider. But don't get hung up on the whale. Don't get hung up on the three days. Don't get hung up on all the, how could that happen? Get hung up on the idea that salvation belongs to the Lord. And it might be life and death for you too. So in light of all that, if this is true, could I ask you a question? Why are you running from God? He wants something for you. Why are you running away from the person that can help you the most? And if our church family can help you with that, that's so what we're here for. Hey again, thanks for joining us online today. You'll see links in the notes or the comments section to be able to let us know who you are if you're newer around here and to give generously online if you call Whitewater home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.